Venomores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much. Want to learn. Or want to learn. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you, you, you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Welcome back to the New Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt and uh, want to learn how to do other things good, too, uh, who are interested in hunting, uh, who, <laughs> who are interested in general outdoorsmanship. We take my experiences as a new uh, and returning hunter trying to figure it out as a grown adult and uh, put them up against my friend Adam here, Adam Miller's uh experiences as a lifelong hunter so i'm tony martinson introduce me i am adam miller and this is our podcast welcome so uh you, what are you up to man uh what am i up to talking to you what are you up to some last minute internet scouting <laughs> yeah because uh mm-hmm. you're going hunting aren't you i will be out montana elk hunting bow hunting the rut i guess or the early part of the rut I don't necessarily breed till October, what have you. So yeah, awesome. So you're getting packed up right now, huh? Cross reference with my hunting partners. Make sure we don't double up on too much stuff. Um, so this is the type of hunt that's a little more comfy. You know, you hike in to hunt every day type deal. So yeah, so you kind of have a base camp and operate out of there. This is our, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth trip, something like that. Um, awesome. It's kind of starting to become a bit of a tradition type deal, I guess. So we'll be hopefully bugling in some bulls. The weather looks great. Um, the weather's looked great all summer. It's kind of dried up on the areas that we're going to hunt. So it's going to be concentrating the elk a little bit more, makes it a little more predictable around water. Ah, I was going to say, why do you want it dry? Well, it's an elk is a big critter, mm-hmm. and they need to drink every day yeah and so you don't really want to push them off that water you know if you know they have a dependable source but it does make them um the want to travel less because there's less water so you know they're a big animal takes a lot of water to move and you know it kind of concentrates them around that water so um at least i feel it does so okay um it's just things we play in the strategy, I guess. So yeah, for it'll, sure. It'll make uh, certain feeding areas more predictable. Okay. You know, they're they know we want to go for the better foods, and there's they have all those better foods won't be completely just all over the place if it's a drier year. You know, so it's yeah. uh, pretty excited about it. So. Do you uh, feel like you are getting to know the area pretty well now that you're? Uh... Going back to, I assume, the same place that you've been the last three, four times, right? You said this third, well, fourth year in a row. So this is a new area for me. My dad hunted this last year. Um, I wasn't able to hunt it last year because of reasons. Um, <laughs> I guess. Because um, of reasons. Good enough for me, man. It yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you started, you know, you start a new job, you really haven't built up any vacation yet. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, it kind of sucked that I wasn't able to do that. But now, you know, my own business, I get to set my own hours. <laughs> so you're not coming back for two whole weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's right now we're planned for, I think, eight days, you know, oh, well. something like that. And then, um, of course, if we get something sooner, pack it in. No, 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 no. You let it hang for a while. Oh, I suppose it's an elk and you got to, uh, you got to, you know, cape it out and pack it out while yep. you're hunting, right? I was gonna say, the key you in get it cool. the key in deer camp is to, I mean, you gut it out and let it hang in the shop for longer, right? Well, and the then, nice thing about, especially you guys, Minnesota deer season, that's in November. Yeah, you can get away with that a let lot easier. Hang, let it uh, ease up a little bit and uh, get plenty of beer drinking time in there. You got to 
can't butcher it <laughs> until it's you know hung for a couple of days. You know, what else are you gonna do? Not gonna just leave I'm it all, hanging there. I'm all about that when the highs aren't in the seventies during the day. Yeah, for sure. You can't you can't get away with that for very long. No. In September. And you said you were doing like a base camp type scenario, right? Where you're kind of staying yep. in one place and hiking up and into where you think you're going to be. I suppose you'll find a place to sit in glass and stuff. Glass your spots that you thought yep. you wanted to yep. ha- to check out. And uh, but yeah, once you drop them, then you got then that's when the work begins, right? Absolutely. And it's if you've ever been up close to an elk, you realize just. How much work that can impact me. Oh goodness um, gracious. You know, I've been in you know, I've been involved with two dead ones essentially and what do you do with them afterwards? Um, it's a process. <laughs> so it's a lot of work I hear. It is, it is. But it's you know, that's one of the things you start packing out an elk where it's you know, you're um, one of those things where the suck is kinda awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun part too. The work is kind right? of the fun part. It's one of those things. I hear. I wouldn't it's, know. I hope too soon. <laughs> um, this year was really not my year. Bond and you find out about your hunting partners, whether, you know, how much they, <laughs> yeah. you know, just how much they, you know, are, where the men are men and the women are too. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I was talking to with a guy at work about just, you know, chatting. We're uh, sort of two guys that we bonded over hunting in general. And, uh, I suppose when it's time to start taking apart that elk and packing it out is when you decide who gets invited back next year, right? Um, yeah. Because we were talking about that, and he said, you know, because uh, dove season just started here, mm-hmm. uh, and I saw you got out, but I don't think I'm in, like, the best dove country right now. Um, I probably would have to go west or southwest of me, a decent clip, to get into at least anything decent and you know maybe i might do that but uh from what i was talking to him about um but he was saying you know so we were chatting about our fall plans and stuff and he's like yeah Mm -hmm. i got a couple of friends that you know our canada trip i just they don't know about it and when i get back Mm -hmm. they ask me and they're like how's canada and i'm just like oh it's good because he's taking them (laughs) to a couple of uh on a couple of hunts and uh Apparently they didn't cut the mustard on that whole bit. So for uh, those of us beginning and starting, and uh, I've never been on a backpacking hunting trip, but uh, I don't know if I told you this. I completed a marathon this year, so uh, just no, I don't think you know, mentioned it. Just saying, <laughs> it. Uh, I have fairly strong confidence in my. Uh, ability to get the work done but I could see for those of us out there that are new on this uh, just so you know if it's your first elk hunt and you're packing them out that's when everybody who's not it's their first elk hunt is deciding whether or not you get to go elk hunting again with them (laughs) (laughs) or you decide if you want to go elk hunting again too I mean (laughs) I don't see I suppose there's a world in which somebody could go elk hunting for the first time and like you know, we talked about it on our very first podcast here in the bugling and the rutting and all that stuff and getting close enough to make a decent bow shot and like all of that. I don't see how somebody could do that and then go, yeah. And then, you know, have delicious elk in their freezer for, I don't know, conservatively most of a year afterwards. Right. Yeah. I don't see how somebody could, well, six months, nine months, whatever. I don't see how somebody could do that and then be like, yeah, that wasn't that cool. I don't think I want to do that again. I don't really like that food. (laughs) (laughs) It probably isn't like a food thing. It's just that it, you know, it does require work, you know, cold and my feet hurt and this is too heavy and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's Mm. just how some people are. It's what's crazy. You know, we talked, you know, and I, and I remember specifically we talked about this is that, you know, there's a, like, just like deciding for your very first hunt ever that you're going to go elk hunting. Oh, like that's yeah, I a suppose. Major, giant, you know, like, just the huge thing to undertake by yourself. I suppose there is that crowd, too, who goes, I want to go I hunting. Didn't, and I didn't realize that, like, there's a growing number of people that are doing it. Um, going there elk is, hunting? For, like, their very first hunt ever. 
Like, oh, man. I talked to some, I talked to some of my buddies, like you know, being uh, backcountry hunters and anglers and yeah. uh, what have you, and like I've been reading some things online. They're like, yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna start hunting. I think I'm gonna, the first thing I'm gonna try is this elk hunt. <laughs> yeah. um, that's that's like, that Cameron Haynes effect right there is what that is. It's a Cameron Haynes. Well, and it, <laughs> the Joe Rogan I don't effect. want to discourage these folks. I mean, they got a ton of ambition, but I mean, oh, for sure. And those two guys have done a lot for popularizing hunting culture in the younger generation and people who listen to them, and that's awesome. But like, that is a big thing to take on, man. It's huge, you know, and it's not. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I myself, I can look back now. If I would have been like the very first thing I hunted would have been an elk, like I would have been so overwhelmed. Yeah, for sure. I <laughs> you mean, know? Like, start with a mule deer, maybe, you know, yeah. if you want to get up in the mountains. And I, and I don't want to, like, again, I don't want to scourge people. I just, but I really feel like, let's say that absolutely everything goes right. Yeah. And you manage to kill an elk out there. And your very first like butchering job is on an elk, and you are let's say two miles from your truck. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be you know, that's gonna be something to do. You're really setting yourself up for failure. For sure, you know? and for sure. So, I mean, if if, if you, you think you got it down, more power to you. But man, I just <laughs> yeah, um, man, yeah, and I mean like. I yeah, I guess I agree with you. I don't want to discourage people either at all. But there's something to be said for I could see a person that starts, you know, maybe doing some bird hunting locally or whatever, um fishing or whatever, and then or goes deer hunting. Deer hunting is like the most popular, right? Or turkey or mm -hmm. something. And starts small and gets into butchering things a little bit smaller and making some uh, delicious meals out of it and really appreciating the whole process and all that stuff and then building their way up to a backpacking elk mm -hmm. hunt. I could see that person uh, having more longevity in the activity rather yeah. than somebody who just drops. I mean, if you have never hunted before, even if you're like a reasonably avid outdoors enthusiast in other ways mm -hmm. the startup costs for a backpacking elk hunt into the mountains are not small right no especially not, if you're bow hunting like a decent bow not, these if, days you is, wanna, not if you want to have a level of comfort <laughs> right so i mean or even you know not get spotted right like mm -hmm. I have a bright screaming red backpacking backpack because when I'm not mm -hmm. hunting um, and I'm just going on a backpacking journey, mm -hmm. my idea when I bought it 10 years ago was I want to be seen. If I need to be seen, I want to be <laughs> right. able to be seen, you know, but like I'm not sure that that thing would be the best pack to have out there packing meat out. You know what I mean? Packing meat, not a bad not idea. Not necessarily packing meat, but stocking, yeah. right? And if you're trying yeah. to... Stay on the move. Now you said you're doing a base camp. You're not just out there moving with your whole all your mm -hmm. gear on your back all the time. And where you end up, you find a right. campsite. But um, yeah, I mean, but then again, maybe somebody could throw a bunch of money on it. Love it. Absolutely love the taste of elk meat. And uh, decide that they're going to do that every year. Put two in the freezer. You know, throw all the money in the mm -hmm. world at it and make it happen. So. More power to them, but realize that, like, you know, I, I, I suspect a lot of it has to do with Joe Rogan because he's got a massive following. Dude, he gets more you know? viewers than network television. Yeah, and he's got an adult, he's an un adult onset hunter. Right. But realize that he had some of the best in the industry mentoring him on a oh. personal basis. The first time we went hunting, him. it was with Stephen Rinella. I'm actually a fan. Yeah. I'm not not inspired for this podcast by <laughs> some of the things I've heard on all those guys' podcasts, you know? Right. So, I mean, it, it, I, it, I really like, uh, you know, I like the enthusiasm. And obviously, we're doing this to, like, encourage more people to hunt. Yeah. You know, so it's a good thing if somebody wants to just take up hunting and they're going to do something that major right away. But I just, you know, I'd feel remiss if I didn't warn people that. 
you know, you have to move a 700-pound animal. It's a shitload of work. Yeah. I mean, you're you're talking at least 150 pounds of meat to get an adult animal. Um, you know, that's, for most people, three pack loads, at least two, you know? Yeah. Um, and you got to get it out of there before it spoils. If you're doing it in a September archery elk hunt, you have a limited time, you know? Yeah. And you've got to get that animal broken down and quartered out, separated, you know, its own heat will spoil it within sure. with a short amount of, fairly short amount of time. Yeah. So it's something that if I had never done it before, you know, breaking apart an animal from down to quarters, you know, that would be tough to do in a, in a the amount of time I needed to be done. Yeah. Well, sure. being efficient and having not just a pile of scraps of meat that are indeterminate. You know, once I get them back to the house. For sure. So, um, you know, I, I would really want to have a practice, uh, nice fat whitetail doe from around my own place to kind of <laughs> know where to cut, you know, and you know, what I'm looking for, what are, what's going to hang you up, you know, what what joints are a little bit tougher than hard, or harder for the other ones, how you want to butcher just how you want to break down your cuts. Yeah, there's some methodology there that, I mean, could even come down to your personal preference on knowing how you want to cook them and stuff later. Um, and that all starts in the field. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, butchering, you know, like that fat little white-tailed doe is no different than butchering an elk, other than an elk is four times bigger. <laughs> so, but I mean, to me, basically all the cuts are the same. You know, and how, I but how I go about butchering it is all the same. So, um, it's just, it, you know, it, crawl before you run, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Relatively the same. I mean, yeah, I don't want to draw that comparison, but like a lot of the un ungulates are the same, right? As far Very as butchering and breaking down antelope, deer, mm -hmm. elk, right? Even moose is just giant, right? Yeah. Just a real big deer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, even all this, this is a shitload of work talk and all this you're I'm very jealous of your trip. Uh, <laughs> and, um, would like to build up to that again, not my year this year, probably won't be my year for a couple years on that. Um, and we had talked about this before and you actually recommended like way back a couple of years ago and you actually recommended like, let's, get a couple of deer on the ground and get through those and then we'll talk about it actually, <laughs> which, you know, I see where you're coming from. Totally honest. Um, so you're packing to go base camp out, right? What, what are you packing? Are you staying in a cabin? Or are you doing big cabin tents? What do you We doing? have a cabin tent set up. Is it uh, so, canvas? Like yep. one of those big old ones. Are you going through an outfitter? Nope. Somebody owns one of those things. Yep. Dang. Those things are pretty gnarly to have. Does it have a wood-burning stove in it? Because that would be the best. You could hot It's an option, thing. but we found that using our fish house heater is more efficient. Oh, and sure. That better. makes sense. The big buddy, right? Yep. Big buddy heater with propane. Dang. It's so you're just, moving everything but the kitchen sink out there, huh? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's there's certainly a level, level of comfort with this kind of hunt. That's good. Um, which, which is good. I mean, when you're putting on a lot of miles in a day they're carrying some heavy loads you know we got three guys with tags yeah um you start packing out one two elk um you yeah, know your shoot. body gets a little beat up being able to sleep in a cot versus uh a nice you know the softest spot you can find on the ground it makes a difference um especially with my dad who's you know nearing 60 um yeah. being able having that level of comfort you know, makes him able to hunt the next day. For sure. Especially if I, you know. put two elk down in a day, you know, and you got to get them out of there and cooled off and all that stuff. That's double the work for the same amount of people in a we day. Got, right? We got to get luck. <laughs> got to get one first. But. Well, I know, but I'm saying like you start stacking mm -hmm. them up and it's the work. You have to plan right? for it. Yeah. You have to be prepared for that type of thing. Yeah. So, so that makes sense to have sort of a comfortable spot, especially if you're, 
somewhat familiar with uh, Spot. A lot of guide services do that, right? They kind of have a base camp and then you go out from there rather than doing the move with whatever you have on your back through like kind of a loop, right? Yeah, and that's not a bad uh, way to do some of these things, especially if you have some, you know, seasons under your belt. You can do like a spike camp type deal where they'll, they'll bring you in. Uh, but they'll give you a huge area, and they'll be like, well, we saw elk here last year. You know, there should be elk around. you got to know how to hunt a little bit. You know, yeah. you won't have a guy right on your tail, you know, or right in front of you, actually, showing you, you know, where yeah. to go exactly. So, And, I mean, for guide services, there is all the different levels, right? A spot where you can camp and go wandering off by yourself. A mm-hmm. guy that walks you up to the elk and points it and spots it and says, "There you go, take a shot." Right anywhere <laughs> in between those two things, right? Yeah, there are certainly levels of it. So um, I've never used an outfitter guide for elk. Um, only ever used one for bear hunting. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's um, for elk hunting now. It, it it wouldn't appeal to me anymore just because I know enough now that I want that that DIY experience. Yeah, but, I mean, I could see, can, do you, are you comfortable saying what state you're going to? Montana. Okay, so I could see if you're, Montana non-resident elk tags are not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So I could see if you're putting in for the tag and you, I don't know if it's a lottery out there or if you can just buy elk tags as a non-resident, I don't know, I haven't looked into it that deep, but if you're entering the lottery and you're drawing the tag and mm-hmm. you're paying the money for it, it's not the cheapest tag in the world. It's not like an over-the-counter turkey tag in Minnesota for a resident, right? So no. like, uh, so let's well, let's back I up. I see where you would want to <laughs> guarantee. Uh, some people would want to guarantee the result on that rather than paying for the experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I wouldn't blame them. So I'll walk you through it. So you, yeah, I put in for a lottery. Yeah. Right for and that starts back in for Montana. I believe the the deadline was in February. Okay, and you find out in March if you are drawn. So okay. it's good to know that kind of early if you need to start getting vacation lined up and what have you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we talked about this during our know, podcast about application season. Good things to know, right? Yeah. So. At this very same time, you, you know, you always put in for what's called the general elk tag or elk license, and mm-hmm. check the book on this because I, I might be phrasing it wrong if you're looking into doing this, but you basically are applying for a general tag. Now they have a number of units, which are areas that you can hunt to find to buy space on the map, and they they point them out to you. Yeah. Okay. The number of general units that you can hunt with just that tag, right? Okay. At the same time, you put in, if you want to, you can put in for a permit, which is a special designation that you can hunt, like, a specific area that you can't hunt with the general tag. Or, for my case, you know, I put in for what's an archery tag that, with the unit that we're going to, it's, it's a, I can hunt a branch antler bull. Okay. Um, my the other two guys that I'm hunting with only have general tags. So for okay. this season and these units, they can only shoot a cow or a spike. In other units, they can shoot branch antler bulls. You know, and they're still general units, but you need to pay attention what unit you're going to hunt. So when you say a branch so, antlered bull, they can't have it. It's is that any antlers that have any branches at all is that as that i means? understand it yes okay i don't have the book right in front of me whereas a spike is just the like beginnings right you can't think of it as if just you're listening but i'm putting my fingers behind my head like yeah so you, you, uh, you have an animal an animal has essentially two spots on its head where horn antlers come out or horns and rebound and a spike is just they usually just one long spike without any without branches any forks or anything on there So that would probably be, uh, is that fair to say that's a bull that was born this last spring? A spike bull is probably a year and a half old. Year and a half. Okay. 
because I've shot a bull before that I believe was a young of the year bull that I shot in December. He was nearly the size of a full grown cow and he, he had all the, the equipment, but he had no horns. So, okay. So when I, I actually had what was called a cow or an antlerless tag at the time. Yeah. And I, I shot that animal, assuming it was uh, a female, a cow. Yeah. I get up to it and it ended up being a young of the year bull, which is still legal bull because it, it described as antlerless or antlered with the tag. Too, yeah. Yeah. And he had no antlers. So until you actually have hands on that animal, it's impossible to know. <laughs> yep. In our so. section, I did that too. Um, because it was antlered or antlerless in our, I believe they call it an intensive management zone. Mm -hmm. um, one year my first year and uh, I did the exact same thing with the deer. I didn't, I just, you know, we said if something comes by, shoot it, you know, because <laughs> there right. is no, there was no distinction. It was antlered or antlerless. And that's the only distinction because you're not going to check what kind of tools is working with through a scope <laughs> very easily. Right. right? Not easily. So, you you got to have some magnification to check that out. Yeah. And so, get the right angle. <laughs> so, uh, Right one, angle to check the dangle. So. <laughs> <laughs> one just came on, came down the path. I told this story too. One came down the path and it gave me a nice side shot and I got all excited and made, got fevered the shit out of it and made more noise than I thought was humanly possible and a permanent stand and he didn't notice and I shot him and I didn't notice it was, I didn't know it was a buck because his head was down and I didn't care. I was just excited and shaking and ah. Uh, and uh, went to gut it, and I was like, oh, that's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So be it. Actually, yeah. my friend uh, my friend Brandon pointed it out. <laughs> he, goes, <laughs> he goes, oh, that's a boy. And I was like, hey, flip it over. And we flipped his head over because his head was up, neck up. And it was forks. Um, so I digress. But, uh, Out of twig and berries, huh? <laughs> yep. Yep. I digress, but that's what your hunting partners can shoot, the essentially the elk equivalent, right, based on what they drew. Right. I mean, so I'm glad I got the permit that I have, and it doesn't cost any more money. Oh, okay. Um, that's, you know, I was wondering that too, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I have options now. Basically, any elk that walks in front of me, um, you know, that is something I can take. And Nice. You know, and, uh, elk hunting's tough. It's really tough with a bow. I mean, it's not. It doesn't have high success rates, especially for non-residents. Yeah. And if you get an elk with a bow, you're doing damn good. I I've mean, heard it's, that. It's kind of. It seems like it's kind of like a one of the standards. Yeah, it's they're hunting, they're, right? a, they're a wily critter. Um, they are often running in herds, so it's not just fooling one animal it's fooling many yeah you know and uh they're, and they're tough animals man they do not have a um a surrender gene i mean <laughs> you know there's yeah they're used uh, to running from wolves man right and yeah mountain lions so, I mean, and shit, right i mean that's that's a lot of critters out there is they're tougher than you know us <laughs> tougher than a domestic animal. <laughs> Stupid, bald, squishy monkeys. You're so silly. <laughs> yeah. Did I just mute you? Are you with me still? <laughs> Let's just say that the, the text you made for your wife. Oh. I, I can't help you with that. Oh, that was for you. Well, okay. So, uh, drawing back the curtain here, I'm in my basement. I just uh, texted Miller by accident when I uh, thought I was texting my wife upstairs in my house to uh, bring me a wad of toilet paper. The reason is, is there's the most giant, horrific fucking spider on the wall right across from me. And it's super distracting right now and I want to take care of it. Because <laughs> it's starting to get cold and they're coming inside. In any case, sorry, ma'am. I'm in Bismarck. You're in Anoka. Yeah. <laughs> I live I'm not in the forest, but that doesn't mean the spiders can come in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what were we talking about? 
I don't know. No, Bald, squishy monkeys, elk are a lot tougher than you think. It's kind of a standard. It seems like there's like a bit like waterfowling, quote unquote, the correct way um, mm-hmm. with the decoys and the, you know, calling them in and not just, you know, if it flies, it dies. Uh, slew jumping with your dad when you're a kid is kind of a standard, right? right? Uh, you know, uh doing the public land hunt for deer or whatever is kind of a standard. Mm-hmm. And then uh, doing that bow elk hunt in the, in the mountains is kind of a standard. Hang on. I'm going to kill this. Right. Son. I'm going to kill this son of a bitch. Hang on. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Jesus. Criminy. Oh, he's missing some legs. Gosh, bitch. You dead. <laughs> you dead. <laughs> All right, he'd already been in a fight or two. That wasn't worth it. All right, um, so the next standards is like, I don't know, bighorns, mountain goats, the real gnarly stuff, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, being in elk hunting shape is one thing, but being in mountain goat shape is an entire <laughs> That's kind of like being in the Navy SEAL shape. <laughs> yeah? I mean, not to say that, you know, there's plenty of people that aren't that, you know, make it happen. A lot of it is mind over matter. You know, so, oh, for sure. It's which fun. I'm going to have to deal with a little bit. Well, I don't know if I told you, but I uh, ran a marathon. It's probably the year where I'm in. Um, I completed no, that. No, this is probably the year where I'm probably in the worst shape I am, I've am. i been going into hunting. But this is the year I've been probably shooting the best I've ever gotten oh, into. So that's interesting. it's kind of a – yeah, it's what I was making time for and what have you. So, for sure. Uh, you know, it's – I kind of feel bad about – uh, part I wish I would uh, I'm definitely and I'm sure I'm gonna starting next week I'm gonna work or when I head out and we'll <clears throat> wish I put more time at the gym. But still <laughs> it's be never it. too late. So. Go tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know if I told you. You're gonna get all kinds of gains. <laughs> For sure. I don't know if I told you but I ran a marathon, so uh I feel like <laughs> <laughs> that would be I, I haven't ran since actually. I'm probably in worse shape now than I was before I started. But um there and like as far as bighorn hunting, like there are legit like sponsored hunters that have like died doing that. Yeah, you gotta be careful brutal. out there, man. That's like on the edge of nothing on some of those places where they go. As I understand it, that like there's on a mountain, there's usually the sheep side. Really, which is you know pretty steep, you know, but there's more vat like meadow type stuff, and you know like 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 feed, and that's you know not quite as gnarly. Yeah. And then there's oftentimes the mountain goat side, oh. which you almost look like you need climbing gear. <laughs> the, sh- the mountain goat side goes. is crazier than the sheep side. Yep, mountain goat's definitely more vertical. Really? Yeah, it's crazy. Yep. Those animals are crazy, man. So. That's uh, something I, especially a sheep, I'd really like to pursue one of those someday. For sure. um, I don't know if I'll ever get to mountain goat. I mean, there's definitely opportunities for mountain goat. Um, mm-hmm. In Alaska, they're not hard tags to draw. Oh, really? In certain, in certain spots. Um, <coughs> but. I know some people in Wyoming. Yeah, those ones are very hard to draw. Oh. Well, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah, I I could school for a long time on why they're hard to draw and um, the tomfoolery that is the point system. Yeah, but you don't like the point system. I hate it. Despise it. You think it should just be a straight lottery every time? Luck of the draw. Yep. Yep. We've talked about this before, right? Not in depth. <laughs> quick, quick overview, as I understand it. You tell me if I'm right. I'm the new guy here. Let's see yeah. if I got this right. So. Um, for te- or for species that have a lot of interest, but not a lot of, uh, not a lot of animals to go around essentially to fill the amount mm-hmm. of people that want tags, you can, they run a lottery on them in yep. most states as I understand it. So during application season, you go pay your money to apply typically a fraction of what the actual tag costs. Right. And then, uh, when they run the lottery, they choose uh, who actually gets one of those tags. Um, 
if you don't win the lottery for the tag that you applied for, wait, let me back up. When you, if you draw, if you get drawn in the lottery, then you get the opportunity to purchase that tag, right? And pay more usually for the then tag. Burn your points. Yep. Um, if you do not get picked for the lottery, uh, the way I've seen it done is sometimes the application fee is refundable, sometimes it's not, or you can choose to buy points. So uh, yep. every every essentially every tag that you don't draw in the lottery, you get a point. So um, and then the people with the most points get first preference when the lottery is drawn every year. Yep. So if guys are sitting applying for a mountain goat tag in the same unit in Wyoming for 20 years and they've never drawn, all of a sudden they got 20 points. And if you have more points than everybody else, you're virtually guaranteed to draw that tag, right? So you're almost there. Okay. So he with the most, or she, with the most points gets the tag, essentially. So when you first start playing that out, it works really well if you were in on the ground floor. Right. Right? But a guy like me in his early mid-30s that wants to start buying points might have a lifetime before I draw something like a moose tag in North Dakota. Or you may never draw at all. That's what's happening. Yeah. Is someone our age, now let's, I'm 33. Me too. You start running the numbers, and this is what's what point creep is. Every year, the max amount of points, the, the points you need to draw the tag essentially goes up. Because everybody in that pool of, say, Got one more year, one more 10 point. points, right? So only a fraction of those guys get a tag, right? Whatever that right. fraction is. The next year, they all have 11 points, and the guys behind them, the start of the year after, have 10 points, and it just continues to go up. It essentially turns into seniority at that point, right? Yeah, and all those guys need to get out of the way before you get your tag, right? Is there a way that that is being mitigated? Like, is there a certain number of tags that are allocated for certain species in certain areas that are just like, okay, we're going to give... Uh, 80% to our point system lottery and then reserve 20% for just uh, like straight luck of the draw lottery. Everybody's in the pool. In some states, yes, there is. Or 50-50 or whatever, you know. Yeah. So when some of these units in a lot of these states, if I started putting in now, Mm -hmm. I will theoretically never draw the tick. Or I would have to wait and like theoretically before I have a realistic chance of drawing a bighorn tag in like Colorado or some of the other states, I will realistically be 73 before I will draw that tag. (laughs) Good luck hiking up the mountain. That's how the point system works. That's how point creep works. Stay in the gym. Yeah, you can say, yeah, stay in the gym, but what are, I mean... Right. I would spend a lifetime of buying points, putting an application in, and and realistically never draw the tag. And also that turns that tag that is already expensive into, what did you say, 73, into 40 years of buying points. You just put in... A minimum, usually those ones right now cost about $100 a point. So, you know, there's 4000 dollars $4,000 to go on what's already a $2,200 tag. Which I'm not mad about putting money towards conservation, but goodness, man. <laughs> you right. Know? Like, so that, I, I don't want, I, I, what, what a lot of people, and, and here's what's happening now, is a lot of people, what they're doing, instead of buying tags for me, like me, I'm 33, instead of buying t- points for me, They'll start buying points for their five-year-old yep. to start get him on the list. So in right. thirty years, he can he can hunt a bighorn. And you can so when he's go 35, 36. Now, does he want to? Who Don't knows? Know. You might not Who be knows? on the trigger, but you'll right. be there. So that's how. Dang! I should start doing that with my kid. 
<laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, this is coming to a head, you know. And I'm it's sure like, there's a, as many opinions about it as there are opinions on Caliber, but, like, I could see where people mm-hmm. would be like, good, keep it for the residents, you know. And, and it, well, you know, it's not just, prove I mean, it. it's residents, it's not, I mean, everyone has to buy points or play the point game, and I just refuse. I would sooner do more general hunts. For sure. You know, that I can draw with no or one point. You know, yeah, and I I just want to go hunting every year, or put the work know? in on a open unit in mm-hmm. Montana. They have open units in Montana for Bighorn. I think there's like three, maybe right. Last I heard, so they have what's called the I don't know if we've ever covered this before. We'll, I'll touch on it briefly. They have what's called the unlimited. That's it. Unlimited. Unlimited hunts for on a quota system, right? Yeah. So they will sell on certain units. There, they will sell unlimited amount of tags. Anybody that wants a tag can just go to the local sporting goods store and buy a tag, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, but they will only allow X amount of sheep to come out of that area. Oh, so like uh, if you ever watch the Deadliest Catch, you can get out there, but as soon as we hit the max, everybody goes home. Yeah, then, then you're done. So some units, you know, it's a sheep or, you know, oh, four dang. sheep, right? So yeah. if you have, you sure. might have 700 guys trying to get <laughs> that one sheep. So how do they handle the reporting? Do you got to radio it in or something right away once it's confirmed? So there, as I understand it, there's like a radio announcement that comes in over... So you got to check in every day, right? Oh, okay. Anybody that gets a sheep has to register that sheep immediately, right? Typically, you have to do that. At, I mean, at least the regs say you got to tag your animal yep. right away, usually. Yep, but but apparently, have, you, you have to, let, to call it in right away there, right? Yeah, the game fish know. So then, then there's a 24-hour notice that the, that the season ends. And you got right? to beat feet and go home, right? Right. Now, because of that, there's years that, like, well, there was – you know, the, the limit or the quota we reached was one or two sheep. But since there was guys that end up shooting, so let's say there's everybody hunting at the same time, they shot six, seven. Yeah, within you know, an hour. Within that 24 hours, they were yeah. yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a risk that the Montana Fish and Wildlife plays. Oh, I'm sure they conservatively allocate their tickets or right. their, their of, of, uh, tags, right? Yeah, but there's other seasons where the quota never gets reached. And then and, they just set a time limit on it? Yep. And then huh. there's, I mean, there is at times where these units that there is literally at the time of the season, because of the migration, they move, and it's a different type of migration. They move from high elevation to low elevation. Yeah. And these, all these units are at super high, super tough elevations. And yeah, I've heard might, it's like a good luck, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, you it, want to try your hand? Go. Literally no sheep in the entire unit. Not a single live <laughs> bighorn sheep in that unit during the season. Hey, but you get a fun camping and hiking trip, right? You get lots of good right. practice. Well, you you get to go. You know, you get and to it's, go. You know, I mean, that's for some people, that's what opportunity is. Hell and yeah, I, that would be the opportunity I would take, man. You know, and if you can hack it and you can do it, I mean, you're you're kind of a god amongst men. Challenge accepted. <laughs> well, like, that's something I really want to do. New life um, goal. Let's plan it. But it takes it it takes dedication. It's a lot of these places. You're looking at a minimum five, six, ten mile hike in some um, the most wicked country in the lower forty eight. You're dealing with high populations of grizzlies. Oh shit! That's really scary. Yeah, and you're dealing with, you know, um, a lot of guys have to make a couple trips in the summer, go in, cash water. Um, oh, yeah. You know, there, you have to be able to live off your back for a long time. You know, be prepared for everything short of major surgery. <laughs> you know, well, you're on your own. I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm getting emergency medical responder certified. Um, yep. So I will have that bit covered. I bet you probably are as a former volunteer firefighter, right? I had like the most basic of training. 
So. Well, that uh, is a new thing that I want to build up to. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Lifetime of work, but we'll put some deer on the ground. We'll get out west, do some elk hunting in the next few years. Uh, shout out to my buddy Forrest out there in Idaho. You let me know when you want to put in for a moose tag in Idaho. I got the, I got the inside scoop on the. Uh, they're not cheap either, but no. <laughs> I got the, uh, I got the insider tip on the Forest Service guy. He drives a backhoe out there. He said, I asked him. Uh, it's like, oh, do you see a lot of elk out there? And he's like, yeah, you know, time to time. But what I see a shitload of is moose. And I was like, perfect. I'll let you know when I save the money. <laughs> <laughs> Good chance those are hard to draw, but yeah, they're look into it. Yeah, so, yeah, but it's something to build up to. I plan on and... doing like elk hunting every other year. Mm-hmm. That's just one of my favorites now. We're doing bear next fall. So yeah, we realistically, are. we're looking at, what, four years out. <laughs> Three years out. <laughs> Plenty of time. Get it figured. Yeah. Right. Three to four years, moose in Idaho. Or okay. we just go out there and go fly fishing. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I mean, that's how far out I'm planning a lot of these hunts. <laughs> nice. I like it. You know, it's only going to fall during the same time of the year, and you only get so many time, so much time of the year to play. So For sure. I'm already uh, feeling that crunch but uh, with uh, bird season around here this fall. But got right. some plans. got some friends. We'll make some something happen this year, I think. Right. I got one dove hunt in, and that's basically all I'm going to get this year. So <laughs> Really? So, well, I usually, I hunted the opening weekend. We did pretty good, me and my boy. Um, And um, so what usually happens in North Dakota is the first frost hits around September 15th. Yeah. As we recorded September 9th, and I'll be elk hunting from September 11th to the 20th. So by the time I get back, basically the doves are likely to be gone. Oh, that's all so, the dove hunting you're going to get in. Like, yep, probably all the dove hunting I'll get. So, which is kind of unfortunate because they're so much fun. Yeah, I know you really like those. We'll have to talk about uh, maybe next time we meet up. Well, we'll have to recap your elk uh, yep. hunt. But I don't know a lot about just like strict dove hunting, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So it would be nice to talk through a little primer on that. It's super easy to get into. That's um, what I've heard. At- Super Access is usually pretty easy. Um, everything about it is kind of just a nice, relaxing hunt. <laughs> well, that sounds just about perfect. <laughs> so we'll have to talk about that one next time. All right, we can do that. All right. Uh, what was the last wild game you had? Oh, wait, before we go on, okay. I, you said you're getting your EMR EMT? EMR. Okay, sweet. So one thing I kind of got to bring up is I just got like my start packet for being hunter enter education oh, nice. uh, instructor. So when I get back, I'll start working on my like teach the teacher course nice. and get that going. And with any luck, like my cousin's daughter is going to be in like my first class. Oh, so. hell yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty excited. I've got a few things I've found to work on on that front too. Like, uh, I had this opportunity through my work to get EMR certified, so I jumped all over that. Um, I would like to transition that into uh, wilderness first responder training when I can. Ooh, that'd be cool. Um, and then uh, Minnesota DNR offers master naturalist classes um, yeah. for the four major biomes in Minnesota. And uh, over the winter here in the deep, dark cold, I was thinking about starting to chip away at my four master naturalist certifications for the Minnesota DNR. Just to You guys got cool programs over there. We don't have those here. <laughs> yeah, man, we throw a lot of money at it. Um it's a lot of like public facing stuff like that. Like I think that uh some other further western states put a lot into like land and wildlife management, but Minnesota does a good job with the public facing stuff, state parks, programs, education programs, mm-hmm. lots of paved hiking paths which i would argue is not strictly hiking but you know very accessible for the masses so i can't be right. mad about that you know i guess if they, it's just going for a walk have, at that point uh, yeah 
If you have the money to burn, okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure that could be a hotly de- uh, uh, contested subject, right? Should the money be burned on that or not? But it's really nice. You know, it's family friendly, it's kid friendly. And then there's all sorts yeah. of programs like that too to uh, learn a little bit more if you want to. And then, I mean, I don't personally have any complaints about uh, the DNR and the wildlife management side of it and the uh, all of that, but I'm sure I could find you a handful of guys who do. So mm-hmm. there's always that opinion out there. But <laughs> what's the last wild game meal that you had? Immediate gratification, sir. We this tonight we made up uh, the dubs we got oh, last nice. weekend. So that's awesome. Um, we did whole fried dove, um, which uh, influenced by uh, the mediator himself. Um, I kind of nice. just I didn't follow his metaphorisby exactly, but um, he basically let me know that whole fried does was a thing. So, <laughs> and you took it from there, huh? Yeah, I kind of took it from there. So, nice. um, some light seasoning with some cornmeal, a little bit of flour, get everything to stick. Um, this is after, um, let's, let's take a step back. I really enjoyed this meal and dove hunting specifically because it's something I can get my whole family involved with. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I like, definitely need to know more about this. So it's an e- like I said, it's an easy hunt. You know, you, you, I mean, we basically drove up to the spot I wanted to hunt, put my decoys in, moved the pickup, had some uh, folding chairs there with so my boy could sit with his you know pack of you know big old box of snacks and a juice box, <laughs> and you know, and you you, you decoy does in, you shoot them, you know. Not it's it's a challenging wing shoot because of their flight patterns. They move up and down a lot. They dip, they dive. Um, it's good practice to get into shotgunning for the rest of the season. That you'll be humbled in a in a hurry, um, especially if you haven't done any practicing. <laughs> yeah, so I'm very interested in this. I don't know how I have not gotten into this in the past. If that's the case, we need to talk right. more about this. Right. So and then when. So I got my kid gets to be out there with him. I got I'm teaching him gun safety basics, uh, keeping him in his earplugs in. You don't have to. It's all it's a visual hunt. It's not really a sound hunt. Yeah. You know, so I'm not, you know, training my ears, listening for doves to come in or what have you. Early and, and often, right? Bring them back. Yeah. So you're, you're allowed to shoot a lot. The season, the daily limit's 15 here. Oh, nice. Which you know, it takes quite a few to get a meal, so it's a lot of sh- a lot of shooting in. Usually, a lot of you know constant action, which keeps them excited. For sure. And then you know I brought them back to the home, and then that's when I got even my youngest involved. She's three. Um, everybody gets to pluck birds. Nice. You know, that's how you make you make these. You know, so it's in, immediately ingrained in my kids' ear. You know that there's a process to this. This was a living thing. Early you and know? often. Yes. Early and often, right? Love it. And then they they get to enjoy the work that they put in of plucking these, you know. They made dinner. Into a meal, exactly. So it gets them involved. They realize that meat is not an abstract thing. No. You know. Doesn't come from a grocery store. Doesn't come from a grocery store. So, and then and then they God they love them, man. I can barely get my own. Like my <laughs> my son and my daughter were like fighting over the last one. <laughs> like my three-year-old was pissed she had to share good. <laughs> so good so they love them you know and it's my wife paired it with uh, this awesome uh like wild rice bread that we get from the farmer's market and so mm. uh, oyster mushrooms we get from the gar- for, from farmer's market so nice uh, green onions from our garden and some mozzarella it makes like kind of little like I don't know, toasted bread thing with this cheese and the vegetables uh, on it. It's just, it, it's just fantastic, you know, and it's just uh, um, bringing the garden and the wild game together. You know, the kids are learning. I mean, and it was, and to top it all off, it was my my new puppy's first hunt. I mean, uh, what, nice. What could be know, better? He was awesome. That's what it's all about right there, man. You know, how can it get any better than that? <laughs> I don't know that it does. Not for a family, man. 
you know, not for an outdoors inclined family, man. I don't know that it gets much better than that. It doesn't. So how about you? Uh, not anything near that good, although it was good and also made by your hand. I found uh, in the back of my fridge, in the back of the meat drawer of my fridge, one of those little, what did you make, those little balls that you gave us? Oh, the pemmican? Yeah, I found the last of them. Oh, I had a pemmican I, ball we, I thought we ate all those. Well, no, that's cool. Oh, you <laughs> sent a couple home with me, and I found one in the back of the meat drawer in my fridge. And sure enough, that was, uh, how long ago was that? That was at least a couple months ago. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> Thing was still good, man. I mean, I had it in the fridge, and I was like, should I eat this? I gave pause for like a minute, and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to eat this. It's pemmican. <laughs> I mean, it probably didn't even need to be in the fridge. It would still be fine. So yeah, yep. my uh, stocks and stores and reserves are getting low, so I right. gotta get out there soon. I haven't haven't even really done that much fishing this year. It's been I've said this already, but it's been a little bit strange with how high the lake has been and a lot of runoff from a wet year. And so, uh, mm-hmm. even the good fishermen I know have been saying they've been struggling with walleyes, panfish, but you know I haven't had a lot of time out there, so. Uh, yeah. I suppose I should probably walk people through how I made that pemmican. Yeah, <laughs> It's real So fatty. I used... <laughs> and delicious. Uh, yeah, I made it with venison, and then uh, I had beef fat. Yep. So first I rendered down a whole bunch of beef fat, and the proportions are going to be... I, I have no idea what the proportions are. They were until it looked... It looked right. <laughs> <laughs> Mix it till it looks good. Eat it. Yeah. So I took a couple pounds of venison, cut it thin, dehydrated it till it basically crisp and break. You got to have it super, super dry, like minimal moisture content. Yeah. And then I did the same with June berries. Um, get them super dry on the dehydrator. Then I ground both of them up in just a regular food processor. Kind of mix them together and then added. Um, you just pour, start pouring in that beef fat and mixing it up until it can really stick together well, I guess. Um, and I also added a little honey for a little flavor there. So, honey is a, another thing that's basically got its own preservative and keeps forever. There's like, they're, they still find honey yeah. from like. The Egyptians, like, and I mean by the Egyptians, like the historical Egyptians, think pyramid Egyptians. I was gonna say, like, yeah, honey's still good. <laughs> yeah, they found jars of honey in like Egyptian tombs that were still fine to eat. Yeah, which is wild to me. So, yeah. I made up a big batch or a pretty good sized batch of that, and I uh, packed them into the stuff you didn't get to eat. And what I tried, I packed them into like a square muffin tin oh, type nice. deal, right? So they're like. You can think of it as like an inch tall, an inch, and then like two by two inches, right? Yep. So kind of a little brick. And then I vacuum sealed those, and those are actually going with me elk hunting next year. Goddamn right. So that's going to be like my daytime lunches. There's like super calorie packed. Super like, calorie dense. Like protein and fat. And like that's that'll keep you mean. going. Like they're, they are a well. calorie bomb. Yep. <laughs> so. Perfect. Well, it was delicious. I had one, and I was like, I'm full. Yeah, they're really not, and you know, like, it doesn't, you're like, yeah, beef fat, and it's like, but it's honestly not bad. So, I mean, it's, like, it's a, you can definitely know it's full of fat when you eat it, but I happen right. to like that, so. Right, so, that's like one season feeding into the next, I guess, so. For sure, for sure. Well, I gotta fill that freezer up again, so more to come on that. Okay. And, uh... Like we always say every time, educate yourself, get out there and uh, get involved in all the programs that you can, like uh, learning how to become a hunter safety teacher, uh, take advantage of the programs, poke around on your state's natural resource management agency's website, find what's out there, uh, get involved in agencies, Wild Turkey Federation, Quality Deer Management, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, there's pick your species. There's an association and they have programs. So get involved with them. Backcountry hunters and anglers, big shout out, become a member. They're protecting public lands in a way that uh, is a groundswell grassroots movement that I don't know that we've seen uh, before. So get involved with them if you care about public lands and wild places. Uh, do your research, educate yourself. 
Thanks to Craig Minowa and Cloud Cult for letting us use the song Running with the Wolves as the intro and outro to our program. Sharpen your teeth, dig deep, get out there. Cubicles and little flaming piles And we were running